This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey, this is Robbie Kroger, and you're listening to the Impact Outdoors podcast. I started looking back at my grandfather's works and my grandfather's stories and I started realizing that he was a phenomenal storyteller. And then I realized that he wasn't a storyteller to me. Like I never got like sitting around a fire talking about hunting stories with him or sitting under the leather back chair that he used to sit at and regale us with hunting elephants or buffaloes or anything like that. Um, And then I almost sort of pivoted and looked at the hunting industry and was like, how good storytellers are we? And I couldn't find great storytelling in the hunting industry I I felt like there was a lot of ego I felt like there was a lot of fakeness and I wanted to say well we should be the greatest storytellers in the world truly authentic storytellers and so I guess that's where Blood Origins started as a concept is that we wanted to be able to tell the story of a hunter like their truth their heart we're not teaching anyone to hunt it's not what Blood Origins is doing, but what Blood Origins is doing is it's teaching you to understand why you hunt. It's it's forcing you to think, and thinking in hunting is going to save hunting. Thinking in hunting is going to help you understand and communicate to someone who questions you to why you hunt, or explain to your kids why it's important that we go hunting. Well, why are you trapping, Dad? Like, you know, what's the, what's the point? Are we just killing animals for the needless sake to kill animals? So being able to answer those types of questions is, I think, what hunt, what Blood Origins provides you. Welcome back, everybody, to another great episode here at Impact Outdoors. And this week on the show, we've got my good friend, Mr. Robbie Kroger, from the Blood Origins Project and. um Robbie is doing some incredible things in the, in the hunting world and really helping educate and 
let hunters and non-hunters really find the true meaning of what hunting is all about and, and uh, really doing a great job interviewing some great people all across the United States and the rest of the world um, and really showing us you know, the true reasons that people do this and uh, you know, everybody's passionate about stuff and I love hunting. It's been a big part of my life for the last 15 plus years and, and um, really have enjoyed my time in the outdoors and and my reasons for that have changed over time and and we talk a lot about that in this show and and uh and stuff and um you know as robbie says for a lot of people it is in the blood and uh it's so true with a lot of things that we're so passionate about so hope everyone enjoys this episode and uh let's jump right in and get to it here with robbie kroger Super excited about today's show. I've been wanting to do this for gosh, it seems like almost two years now um, since we first connected. But I've got right. Robbie Kroger on from the Blood Origins Project on with us today. And uh, um, Robbie, you do some incredible things and come from a very unique perspective. I think that a lot of people don't have here, coming growing up in the United States. And, and um, I wanted to have you on to kind of talk about, obviously what blood origins is right, right how that got started and stuff but really you know kind of the we're gonna talk about all kinds of stuff but where did it start <laughs> for you you know and i do want to point out and i watched it again um yesterday when i first when i first heard about you i was getting ready to interview aaron warburton from the hunting public a couple of years ago right and i seen the video that you guys did and um it was really awesome and so i just binged everything that you'd done to that point that I'd seen and uh, it was all great and, and such a good message and uh, stuff that needs to be heard. And, um, but, uh, where did that start? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I know your grandfather had a great mm-hmm. deal mm-hmm. of involvement in that. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate the kind words and I uh, appreciate us, uh, connecting finally. Um, you know, it's a funny story how sort of blood origins evolved. I was, I'd moved down to the coast. My boys were four and five at the time and they were starting to, I wanted to get them into hunting. And I started looking back at my grandfather's works and my grandfather's stories. And I started realizing that they, he was a phenomenal storyteller. And then I realized that he wasn't a storyteller to me. Like I never got like sitting around a fire talking about hunting stories with him or sitting under the leatherback chair that he used to sit at and regale us with hunting elephants or buffaloes or anything like that. Um, and then I almost sort of pivoted and looked at the hunting industry and was like, how good a storytellers are we? And I couldn't find great storytelling in the hunting industry. I, I felt like there was a lot of ego. I felt like there was a lot of fakeness. And I wanted to say, well, aren't, we should be the greatest storytellers in the world, truly authentic storytellers. And so I guess that's where Blood Origins started as a concept, is that we wanted to be able to tell the story of a hunter, like their truth, their heart. And I also felt like I needed to do it in such a way that was very engaging. 
I needed to film it differently. I needed to put a little bit of an emotion tied to someone's film. Because I think that's, again, another thing that was missing is that everyone was like, I don't know, maybe it's because hunters are these big machismo kind of guys and you're not supposed to be in touch with your emotions. You're not supposed to cry and you're not supposed to talk about these like really deep-seated reasons for why you hunt. And I didn't understand why we shouldn't be talking about that. So that's why we wanted to do it. Yeah, and so what was, I know you didn't get to do, you didn't hunt a lot at all. When, when did you start down your path in this, as far as hunting firsthand? Yeah, I didn't hunt at all. I had two sort of dove hunts where I essentially learned how to shoot a shotgun and shoot at doves. And I remember shooting doves off the fences, right? They were sitting down. I couldn't hit a bird for that was flying to save my life. And my dad said, you can shoot two or three sitting. And then after that, no more shooting sitting, shoot them flying. And so we had two dove hunts, um, essentially in South Africa. And then other than that, I got nothing. Um, I was keenly interested to become a hunter when I was 16 years old. That's what created the letter that my grandfather wrote me that discussed sort of that hunting was in my blood. Uh, but the only time I actually started actually engaging in hunting was when I moved to the States in 2003. Um, and it wasn't even in 2003. It took probably two years, 2005, 2006, before I started going hunting with a friend of mine and got my hunter's education and and then got sort of buried in the good old Mississippi redneck southeast hunting tradition which is you know if it's brown it's down and if you know he gave me a lawn chair stuck me under a cedar tree um i think there were some sweet potatoes piled out you know out in the field and like if something comes by I shoot it and um that's how i started and from there obviously you grow with resources and time and and experience and desires and uh, I just came back from hunting little guy in Texas, you know, South Texas, which was awesome. Um, but I'm still very much a, um, you know, a lot of people online and not, and this is the best thing about Blood Origins. Blood Origins isn't a influencing platform on the kinds of things that you need to do to become the best hunter in the world. That's not who we are. Right. And so I'm a new hunter. I'm a very, very new hunter. I've only been hunting probably for 10 years, legitimately. Um, I've probably got a dozen hunts under my belt across the board, right? Maybe two dozen. Let's just say two dozen types of hunts, Mm -hmm. which is nothing. Like even like this past year, 2021, I totaled up the number of days that I hunted. I hunted two and a half days total. Wow which is sad, right? In that I'm fighting for hunting every single day through blood origins. And so that's just, that's a fault of mine. That's just not having balance. Yeah. It's a consequence of the time we're in right now too. I'm sure a little bit and, and stuff, but I think that's a, um, one thing I think a lot of people don't understand, like, you know, I have a charter fishing operation, right? So I take people fishing all the time and very rarely do I get to go fishing for right. me, you know, get right. my family exactly. out and, and, uh, I got the opportunity to go tuna fishing with some really good friends the first of December. And it was just so much fun. I didn't have to worry about anybody, but 
throughout the night, I honestly see myself going and start helping people, you know, mm-hmm. who are new to it and try to help them catch their mm-hmm. first tuna and, and video and yeah, that kind of thing. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what you're doing with, with the hunting, you know, it's in the blood, you know, you want to do this, you want to teach people. Right. And, um, it's kind of, well, a, we don't want to actually, you know, we're not teaching anyone to hunt. That's not what blood origins is doing, but what blood origins is doing is it's teaching you to understand why you hunt. It's, it's forcing you to think and thinking in hunting is going to save hunting thinking and hunting is going to help you understand and communicate to someone who questions you to why you hunt or explain to your kids why it's important that we go hunting or why are you trapping dad like you know what's what's the point are we just killing animals for the needless sake to kill animals so being able to answer those types of questions is i think what hunt what blood origins provides you yeah y'all do a good job getting you know interviewing people from both sides of the story as well Mm -hmm. you know because i think a lot of the problem whether it's fishing or hunting you know trying to get people to understand the benefits of of that and game management and just all the facets that go along with either sport um recruiting new people into it is is very hard it seems you know to me with all the stuff that we do with youth and and things and and um but that's that's the thing it seems like you know i don't know what the percentage is but it seems like most people are just talking to the people that are already involved in the sport and not really reaching out but i think you've got a really good platform to reach all aspects of that and i think who was the there was a lady that you interviewed um i think she was over in africa somewhere um but she was totally against hunting oh yeah episode two episode two a lady called mimo Sobe. okay it was completely anti-hunting but she just didn't know right she just had these misperceptions of like she thought that americans like two crazy misperceptions she had one americans came to the u.s because we had killed all the wildlife in america already for hunting and so now we're going to exploit their wildlife uh the other one was that um americans were going to shoot elephants in africa so that they can sell the ivory so you know you can't do that like one an elephant costs fifty thousand dollars uh i don't think the tusks are worth that amount of money uh and if they were even if they were it's illegal to trade in ivory so Yep. Misperception. And just- yeah, there's some crazy misperceptions out there everywhere, even hunters, right? Yeah. Even hunters within our own ranks, you'll, you'll hear a hunter say, Oh, you know, I, I'm a hunter, but I hate trophy hunting. Mm-hmm. I'm against trophy hunting. I'm like, yeah. really? Well, one, you're against, why are you against our minority, our community? Like you're fracturing our community. And two, all right, let's press the issue a little bit here. Let's, so when you go hunting, the first thing that steps out, you kill it every single time, right? No, I don't. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll have a look at it. And I'll say, well, why? what are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for something bigger. Oh, so you're selecting based on a value. You're selecting based on a value of size. Sounds like a trophy hunter to me. Mm-hmm. 
your trophy may not be the the quote unquote trophy that everyone assumes it, it is, which is the the um, the trophy on the wall, the antlers on the wall. But the trophy could be more meat. The trophy could mean, you know, better skin. The trophy could mean more time in the stand. There's certain different ways to think about that. And, you know, honestly, it's all based on selectivity tied to a value. To me, that's what trophy hunting is. So when someone says, oh, I'm against trophy hunting, as I will, you, you can only stand behind that statement if you shoot everything, the first thing that walks out every single time. Right, or hypothetically, a, a big female steps out of any species, and a big male steps out of any species, and the big male has a large scent of antlers or horns. Which one do you take? I know the majority will. Yeah, the majority will take yeah. the male. Yeah, and if you decide, if you say, "Oh, I'm I'm taking the female." One, I'd love to understand your justification for doing it because at that, at that point in time, you actually are hurting the population by taking the female than the, rather than the male. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and I think I can see personally, like I got into hunting roughly the same time you did. It was around 04, 05, 06, somewhere in there. Um, was never really exposed to it as a kid. Um, Even so, growing up in Texas, you didn't get well, exposed I'm from to Oklahoma, it? but... Even know, Oklahoma. My, my dad never really hunted that much, and we had some uncles that did, and we had a lot of land in the family in eastern Oklahoma that was just full of bass lakes and stuff, and so I would always go there and go fishing, mm. you know, and it kind of transgressed. Once I got into college, I was taking buddies down there, and then they were like, well, can we hunt? <laughs> I was like, well, I can ask. All and right. then that became a yearly deal. And and I'll I'll never forget I had three or four of us were out there for you know five or six days and and I had taken my bass boat down there and was sitting on the lake by myself fishing. And I just remember having this encounter with two bucks. I mean, they weren't, you know, they were mature deer um come out and started sparring in the middle of the field and wow, i never cool. I never seen that and i was there by myself and i just pulled my boat up to the shoreline closer to them they weren't paying me any attention mm. and i just sat there and watched them go at it for probably five six minutes you know wow. and uh you know just kind of was just like man it's like that's truly incredible getting to see wildlife do that i've never seen that and so i think instinctually there was kind of a thing like maybe i do want to be involved in that and i think part of it was um i was spending all my money on fishing so i didn't want to take away from that you know because <laughs> i would lose that time and right. that was my true passion growing up and um but when i moved to texas that all changed right texas i think is a very as you well know very unique situations having just so many different opportunities to harvest game and, and to be able to get out in the field and stuff. And so I had, I got introduced to, you know, a place that I'm currently hunting now where I actually shot my, 
uh, first deer, which was a doe. And mm-hmm. I was probably so excited. I mean, I remember crying. I was by myself shooting that deer and uh, I was just so ecstatic having accomplished, you know, something I worked probably three years before I ever harvested an animal. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but get to my point, I guess that was, you know, 18 years ago or whatever. And now I've got kids, you know, and, and you see the transgression and, and both of my kids are interested in it. My daughter is just eaten up with not harvesting stuff, but just going with me and, and mm-hmm. being outdoors. And, and, um, we're actually going to try to, to see if, uh, she wants to harvest she does want to harvest a deer, but she, you know we're going to How go the last she? weekend. She will be eight in February. Oh, awesome! She's been on several turkey hunts with me, and just you know, and I see myself now. It's like all I want to do is um, work with make her. Make that like, happen, what, right? Yeah, you know, not necessarily make it happen. I mean, that would be great when it comes and the time comes. And uh, but um, we turkey hunted this year with her in the spring, and we only got to go for three days, and it rained for three days, mm. and. Uh, it stopped for like two hours and we got a bird to come in and it was a Jake and he was gobbling his head off like usual and, um, got him within probably 15, 20 yards from us. We were in awesome. a box blind and she was ready to shoot the Turkey. Um, and, uh, he never would stop and give her a proper shot. And that was one thing that we talked about a lot in practice with and, and she chose not to shoot the bird um, just because she couldn't get comfortable with it. And and I don't know if that's just her or if most kids would. Sounds super trigger, mature for know? an eight-year-old, man. My nine and 10-year-old aren't that mature. I don't know if I'm that mature. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when I'm turkey hunting. But, um, you know, I, I see the, the transgression in my hunting career, I guess, and the way I look at things, you know. And, and mm-hmm. I think I – think, um, I think that's really cool to see that over time. So, oh yeah, you definitely go through the phases, right? All the phases of hunters of being a hunter, and as a late adult onset hunter, you tend to go through those phases mm-hmm. a lot quicker than if you were encountering this at ten years old, like your daughter or twelve years old. Yeah, in that you know you go through the whole bloodlust stage very very quickly, uh, and I went through it too. That you just, yeah, you want to kill as much as you possibly can. And, yes, and that's okay. Points, yeah. Yep. Yep. I actually, right before I, we got on here, I just uh, ran and, and picked up our two deer that we've harvested so far because that was our goal this year was to fill the freezer back up with good venison. So heck yeah, we got that accomplished, but, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things I guess going on and you've covered a lot of it, um, this past year, but you know, it, it seems in texas we're kind of in a bubble it seems like you know separated from everybody else you know because it's it's almost like it's everything's on the table here you know as far mm-hmm. as how to do things and but so many states um are struggling with with that you know the can you talk about you know just some of the things that have been going on i know there's the wolf population and hunting seasons on that game right, camera, right, right. like trail camera use and stuff and, and right. things of that nature. Well, Utah just banned trail cameras today. Uh, hunt for, uh, uh, look, and, and here's where, this is the my take. This is how I position myself when it comes to trail cameras. So Utah has followed the suit of Arizona, which is the banning. Actually, Arizona banned 
the use of trail cameras in the aid of the take of wildlife year round. Okay, you can still have trail cameras, you can still look at it. And the regulations are, I haven't looked at the regulations in Arizona, hopefully they've made it very, very clear. Uh, but it could be very gray in terms of like, okay, if I put a camera out to look at wildlife in January, in a watershed, can I hunt that watershed in October without a camera? Mm. And if I kill a deer that I saw on camera in January, is that using the camera in aid of take of wildlife? I don't know yet. I haven't looked at all the rules. Utah did the same thing. Uh, they've got a season though, January, I think it's July 31st to December 1st or something like that. It came out today. Don't quote me on those dates. Um, Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. But here's here's where we stand with trail cameras. People are like, well, they're, they're getting rid of our hunting rights. No, they're not. Um, oh, they're going to go off to scopes next. What's next? Scopes are next. Rangefinders are next. Mm, no, that's not going to happen either. And here's why I say it. Is that trail cameras don't make you more of an effective hunter. And when I say effective, it means being more lethal. That's what we all want to be, is more lethal. We want to end that animal's life as quickly as we possibly can. Trail cameras do not make you more effective. Trail cameras make you more efficient of a hunter. And there's a big gap between efficient and effective. Efficient does not impinge on your hunting rights. Being effective, i.e. a scope, makes you more effective of a hunter. Mm Right or wrong? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Range finders makes you more of effective of a hunter. And then if you ask the big outfitters, the ones that are... Um, you ask outfitters, do they use or rely on trail cameras? The majority, the vast majority of, of, of outfitters don't. Mm. They get inventory of animals, and that's where the trick is going to be. Like, where is the gray area? Yeah. Um, and, you know, does the Boone and Crocker Club, does the Pope and Young Club, does the National Deer Association say that uh, the use of cameras is still fair chase? They do. And the reason they do is that um, it's very, you know, it's very difficult to pinpoint an animal and then kill it from a camera perspective and then kill it. Helps you understand, identify where the animal is in a general location. Mm-hmm. Um, it also does allow it from a management perspective, specifically on private lands. and allows you to get an inventory of your animals and the wildlife and be able to sustainably take the best and maturest animal out there. And you know which one is the most mature animal. In a public land scenario, it's difficult because there's the, a problem called the tragedy of the commons. And that you could have a camera and you could say, oh, that animal is not old enough yet. I could say that with my camera. 
but your camera is right below me. You say, oh no, that animal's mature. I'm going to kill it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a tragedy of the commons. So we have the Arizona, we've got the trail cameras, Utah, Arizona. We've got the wolf issue, the wolf reintroduction issue in Colorado. Uh, that passed the ballot this year, or was it actually was in 2020, uh, but they discovered, they knew there were wolves. Wolves have just um, killed their first cattle or cow in, in Colorado. Um, but I think most importantly, you've got, and then you've got IP13, uh, initiative petition 13 in Oregon, which is pretty much the most uh, robust, craziest uh, animal rights uh, petition out there. And it's, also, it is, it's a petition like the public ballot scenario in Colorado. It's, going, it's circumventing the legislative process, going to the public vote, if they can get enough petition signatures by June. Um, but again, mo- most importantly, based on when this podcast is going to air, um, the legislative legislative season is upon us across the country. And the anti's got a lot of bills passed last year. New Mexico banned trapping on public lands. Connecticut put forward an African trophy hunting ban that passed. Um, so there's going to be a lot of impetus coming into this legislative season uh, from the anti's to chip away at the granite rock that is hunting that sits in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, Chris Dorsey on the show earlier in this previous year, and um, we talked a lot about Africa hunting and um, just where that's at these days and and just kind of the, I don't know, just like you like you said there's there's a lot of stuff coming down you know banning the importation and mm-hmm. and and things of these animals and stuff and i know personally a lot of people that go over there and hunt i've never been would love to go just to see the country sure, and sure. experience that but um <clears throat> you know, growing up in in south africa um like i guess just kind of what's your thoughts on 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 that you know as far as when you were when you were younger i know you weren't hunting per Mm -hmm. se but Mm -hmm. did you see that coming in seeing people from out of the country coming in at all no probably not in the area you were at but no i I came from a town of eight and a half million people hunting wasn't we weren't connected to it we weren't touched by it it didn't affect our lives if you had asked me the question when i was a teenager what do you think I would have just said, oh, I think my grandfather used to hunt. That's about it. Didn't have a perception one way or the other. Um, but if you look at the wildlife conservation models around the world, uh, North America and South Africa are probably the most successful wildlife conservation projects on the planet. And they're very different. This North American model is a very much public lands orientated model. This, the resource belongs to the people. Uh, in South Africa, um, it is the privatization model essentially a Texas-based model in South Africa, which is the land belongs to someone, someone can fence the land, and the wildlife that's on that property belongs to them. And it's proliferated wildlife. You know, wildlife head um, in the 70s, late 70s was about 500,000 in the country itself. Very large agricultural sector of sheep and cattle and goats. And people started realizing with the drought that uh, there wasn't much money to be made in sheep, cattle, and goats, and wildlife seemed to be a better option 
for ranching, for management, and for hunting. And ecotourism, right? Mm -hmm. Ecotourism is huge. And so come see the big five, come travel around in the Land Rover, and let our guide show you these animals up close and personal. And it's great. Ecotourism has its place and has a phenomenal place in certain places. Um, I think a lot of people get stuck in the mindset that hunting is the panacea for wildlife conservation. When it's pretty much, you know, I I like to think of it as a BB in a shotgun shell. Multiple Mm -hmm. BBs, you know, support wildlife conservation. Hunting happens to be that BB, uh, one of those BBs. And so, yeah, South Africa has about 22 to 26 million head of wildlife today. And the only reason they have that much wildlife is because people value that wildlife. They value it from an ecotourism perspective. They value it from a ranching perspective and they value it from a hunting perspective. Yep. And I mean, we've seen that here, you know, I mean, looking, looking at say the wild North American, the Turkey, the wild Turkey, right. You know, one of the greatest conservation stories there was and, and is an ongoing, um, people didn't respect it you know they wiped them out timber you know a multitude of things pretty much drove that species out yeah almost and, yeah. and, and, and whitetail too to an extent and sure and uh, and now you know there's a lot of opportunity uh, a lot of those birds and, and just i don't know groups like nwtf and 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 stuff that do so much to give back you know and, and restocking and these things and seeing these states work together and and um is there a lot of that over there i mean different groups working together is it still pretty privatized like everybody oh it's pretty privatized own? but there's a lot of groups there's a lot of private groups that are willing to step up and provide animals and wildlife to national parks mm. so if national parks are interested in, in new wildlife and new stocks and new genetics and if they, you know, used to have rhino, but they don't have rhino any longer, uh, the private industry will step up and provide those those animals to the national parks. Yeah, that's cool. So, talk about some of the um, y'all did some other projects. You know, you've done some fundraising stuff and things like that, dealing with sure, sure. with some of the school the school deals for the kids. You know, and, and I mm-hmm. remember that coming up last year. And mm-hmm. and I highly recommend everybody listen to this to jump on and be a supporter for Blood Origins. I mean, I, I jumped on right when you started that, and and uh, you know, like I you appreciate say, it. You know what you say? A, a cup of coffee a month, or yeah, something a cup like of that. coffee a month, three <laughs> bucks a month, four bucks a month, five bucks a month. You won't even miss these it. projects. But yeah, um, so we've got we do a lot of conservation, direct conservation projects. We like to call it. Kuyu created a great model in which they took out the middleman. Essentially, they find projects and they fund projects. Well, uh, we like that model, and so we implemented that that model in that we look for good projects around the world. We find out, we vet, we find them, we vet them. And then we fundraise for them and then we implement them. So, mm-hmm. you know, we did one um, for a state hostel in the Eastern Cape of South Africa for school children to feed them during COVID because there was no hunters. Uh, so we stepped out again, did that. Um, similarly, in the Eastern Cape, we built a soccer field for rural kids. So we called it Everyone Deserves to Play. Phenomenal piece, phenomenal video. Um, and really, when you speak to the hunters that were involved in that, it's probably the most impactful project that they've ever done. Uh, just to see the smiles on those kids' faces that they had an opportunity to play on a level field with no rocks, 
um, that was theirs, which is amazing. Uh, we've done a bit of rhino conservation work again due to COVID, uh, no feed, no funding coming in from hunters. And so we raised some money to supplement uh, Lucerne alfalfa packages to a private collection of rhinos um, in the uh, Limpopo region of South Africa. Uh, we fundraised this year for Hunters for the Hungry program in Wyoming, um, in which phenomenal program, just like Texas Hunters for the Hungry, uh, hunters donate meat that then get given to needy families around the state of Wyoming um, and had a phenomenal outpouring of support, sort of grassroots support for that fundraising campaign, uh, which was incredible. Um, and so, and then right now we're filming a couple of documentaries that those are our concept. We call those conservation projects as well. One of them being, uh, we call one documentary Lionheart. Uh, Lionheart is all about expressing the heart of a lion houndsman out of the West and really following the, the life cycle of a dog and how these lion houndsmen look after their dogs and connect with their dogs and, uh, the dog is pretty much central to this whole idea of chasing lions. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot. We've done a lot. We've got a lot uh, of opportunities in the future. Uh, we're just excited to keep keep the ball rolling. And essentially, as you said, with people supporting us with the cost of a cup of coffee a month, um, yeah, you're supporting us. Uh, but you also stand to be, you know, every month in a sweepstakes for ten to twelve different items, hunts all over the world gift cards, really cool stuff. So um, it's certainly well worth your money. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I applaud you for doing that because I know it's not easy and it takes a lot of time, but when you're passionate oh, about yeah. something, it, it's so worth it. So Absolutely, absolutely. But, um, so I know when you, when you started doing the videos and things like that, um, you really... I don't know and maybe it was your your vision and, and, and goal to do that but um really got to hit home with a lot of the icons of the sport mm. initially you know with with, with cuz and people like aaron and, and will primos and, and and that kind of stuff and and um where now you're you're really working hard on it seems like getting i mean you the people that are really doing things today, you know, how do you go out and seek these people? Are they coming mm. to you? Mm. Um, I, I ask no, a lot of people like, how do you find your guests for your show? And he's like, well, Instagram or, or something yeah, like yeah. that. But yeah. I mean, yeah, we come across stories on Instagram. I won't lie. Um, yeah. But if someone reaches out to me and goes, I've got a, I've got a cool story. You need to tell my story. We'll never tell that person's story yeah. because that person's doing it from a egocentric perspective. Um yeah, and yes, we've been lucky to tell some icons stories, but we've also told some really plain Jane, you know, Joe Blow down the street stories, which are just as good, if not better, than the Will Primoses of the world or the Jim Shockies of the world. Um, you know, our stories right now, the way that we come to our stories, one, it's a connection through Blood Origins. So what we do is when someone, we tell someone's story, to continue the sort of the selflessness of people stepping up and saying, you need to tell this person's story or that person's story. We tell the person who say, Aaron, we said, Aaron, okay, now that your episode is out, you tell us who's next. Right. Aaron goes and finds someone for us. And then we don't care who it is. 
it's someone famous, not famous, man, female, you know, it doesn't matter, does not matter. Mm. So, um, and so, yeah, right now we're almost on like two or three nodes from the first one, right? So we reached out, got the first story, then they've given us the next person, that person's given us the next person, that person's given us the next person. Uh, so it's really connecting. It's it's sort of continuing that idea of family and connections, and how our community is all connected to one another. Yeah. So we love that's the way we do it. We love it. it. It makes sense, and we haven't had a dud yet. Like we haven't had a story yet that someone goes, "Oh, you shouldn't have told that person's story." Yeah. You know, they have a, a skeleton in the closet that you don't know about. We haven't had one of those yet. Yeah. Yeah, well, you got to give me some suggestions too when we get off, so you can pass it on on this side too. You just got to so, reach out, man. Just yeah. you see someone, just yeah. right away, oh, just yeah. like two minutes, think, reach uh, out. I think a lot of people. Um, I've been really lucky, just as you getting some really good people. You know, people I looked up to growing up, and it's just so surreal getting to talk to them now in, mm, in this world. Mm. And it's just like you know, you feel when you're kidding, pretty like, cool. This exactly. Big yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh holy cow <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a, now i got your number in my phone now that's just really exactly weird. <laughs> exactly no that's the best part about it i yeah. love that part about it but for sure it's so it's so cool um being involved in, in the outdoor industry and, and um just seeing seeing the good that goes on and stuff and and uh and, and what you guys are doing so well we appreciate the know. kind words yeah so well i know um this year is going to be a, a busy year for everybody. If y'all mm-hmm. got, uh, y'all got some stuff that you can share for what's coming up in 2022 or. Uh, we got a documentary dropping in February called success untold. Okay. Uh, that's about the wildlife management system of South Africa. Nice. Uh, we also have a documentary about high fence hunting in Texas. That is going to drop. It's um, not controversial uh, at all. Nope. It's not <laughs> at all. Um, and that one's really being built for hunters. It's not being yeah. built for non-hunters. It's being built for hunters um, to explain and change perceptions of people's minds around this idea of high fence. Because I think um, I think a lot of people talk about high fence when they talk about high fence in a badly in a bad circumstance. They talk about like they they have this connotation of a, a hundred acre pen that's a put and take pen, and not that I'm saying that doesn't happen. Yeah. It's the very, very, very small minority mm-hmm. of high fence hunting. And I'll tell you a, a good anecdote to that. We were, we were filming on a 2,500 acre high fence and the guy has like 30 different species of animals and he has scimitar horned oryx on the property. Mm-hmm. He has about 15 of them and they're white. So you, they're pretty identifiable from a helicopter we flew his entire property for about 20 minutes, 30 minutes via helicopter. And I landed with, and he came, he says, what do you see? I said, we saw this, 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 this. And he says, do you see my scimitar? I said, you do not have any scimitar on your property because I didn't see him. Right. And, he, and his, like the classic line from him was like, you know, it's fair chase when you can't even find them from a helicopter. Yes, I totally agree so that's that's coming we've just got a a bunch of cool new content coming um different things that we've been that we've been toying with 
just some crazy little local conversations that if we're filming somewhere and we come across someone, we ask them, hey, would you mind talking about your perception around hunting? Just a random person off the street. We know nobody, nothing about the person. We just ask them a question yep. and get yep. their authentic response. Mm. And it's, a, it's so good when things organically happen like that. And, and um, I've been blessed to meet meet some people that that's coming about too with the podcast and and stuff and uh but um well why don't you uh tell everybody where where they can follow you at and yeah. how to get on and and be a supporter and that kind of thing and i know we're getting ready to um this will probably come out afterwards but probably next week actually but uh i know we're getting ready to see each other probably at the dallas fire club sure. convention this week up in dallas so but tell us where we can find you at. Yeah, any any platform, Blood Origins, type it into Google, Blood Origins. You won't, will be on the first three pages, four pages. Um, yeah, if you want to be a supporter of ours, you can go again on our website. There's the supporters program. Uh, look at it. You can see all the different brands that work with us. Um, and you can donate right then and there. Three bucks, four bucks, five bucks a month. Um, it really, really helps us do what we do every single day. And if you're questioning like what we do, just go through the Instagram and you'll see what we do. And you'll know that if, you, if you're diligent enough, you will know that we do not take a day off. We are at it every single day. And we're probably the, you know, often the people that are the first in line when it comes to controversial topics. We're the first people that are saying something. We're the first people that are discussing it first people engaging on it and the, we can only do that because of your support so thank you for your support derek um and everybody else who decides to to join the wagon no problem man i just i can't thank you enough for what you're doing because it's so important and um thanks for uh thanks for being on the show i know it's taking us a while to get together and get this done but um hopefully uh hopefully we'll get to share uh some time in the woods together at some point in the future maybe here in texas so and maybe we'll get you and the the boys and your wife over here and go fishing sometime yeah so. that would be great i would love that all right robbie well i appreciate you being on this the show appreciate it no man. worries eric cheers mate right, thanks
life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.